Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for true riches, Lord. We thank you for that relationship we have with you that far outweighs all the temporal things in the earth. We thank you, Lord, for true riches, our relationship, our intimacy with you, the great salvation we have in you. Lord, help us to continue to love you day in and day out. Help us not to be ensnared by the things of this age that are just passing away. But, oh, Jesus, help us to love you more and more and give us a fresh hunger and thirst to draw near to you and to walk close with you, to have a heart after you. We thank you, Lord, for true riches. We thank you, Lord, for that which is eternal and enduring forever. Give us an appetite for those things. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Give me Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church, young people. Amen. We've got a good group of them. They're doing good with their high fives this morning. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Looking good. Praise the Lord. Amen. Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, and we want to spend our time with this great encounter and vision that the prophet Isaiah had with the Lord. In Isaiah 6, and we'll begin with verse Number one, and the Bible says to us that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the entire temple, and above him were seraphs of seraphim. And each of them had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they did fly. And they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And then he cried, Woe is me! I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of those seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. He had taken it with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Father, we thank you for your word. Give us ears to hear hearts to receive, and a faith to respond. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Let's spend our time this morning talking about encouragements from Isaiah's vision. Encouragement from Isaiah's vision. We want to look at three aspects of Isaiah's vision this morning and see how it speaks to us specifically in three vital areas of our walk with the Lord. How it speaks to our faith, to our purity, and to our service, our faith, our purity, and our service. First, we simply outline our text very simply. We're going to talk about the upward view. He saw the Lord. He saw the Lord. 
And then there was the inward view. He saw himself in the light of God's holiness. And then number three, the outward view. He saw the need that was all around him. Number one, there's the upward view. He, he saw the Lord. Let's, let's look at the verses one more time. He said, in the year that the great king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Had a vision of the Almighty. He was high and exalted, seated on a throne. In the train of that robe, it was so long, it filled the whole temple. And above him were, were the seraph, the seraphim, the angelic creatures. And they had six wings, with two that covered their faces, because they couldn't look upon the holiness of God. And with two that covered their feet, it's an act of humility and, and, and reverence. And with two that were flying, and as they did this, they were calling and crying out, singing one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the sound was so awesome, the sound was so strong, the voices shook the doorposts. The threshold shook in the temple was filled with smoke. We see here the upward view. Isaiah has a vision, a life-changing vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Note-takers can write down John 12 where we find out this was Jesus that he saw. The throne of Judah had changed occupants, but God was still on his throne. God was still in perfect control of everything, even when things looked otherwise. A great king, may have left the throne empty on earth, but oh, the greatest of kings, the king of kings, he was still seated on his throne in heaven. It's so comforting and so settling to realize and to know that our Jesus is still on the throne. In this present um, events that are around us, some might feel a bit unsettled and unnerved or maybe shaken by things that they see or they're going through. But you can rest assured this morning, your Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He's still on His throne and you're still in His care. Everything is going to be all right. This young prophet Isaiah, he, he saw how the outward look, the outward look, the temporal look was bleak. The natural look didn't look too good. The beloved king Uzziah, who had ruled for about half a century, some 50 years, and he was a good king. For the most part, the kingdom knew stability. The kingdom knew prosperity. The kingdom was strong militarily. It had security. But now Uzziah's dead. The enemies are alerted. The nation's in peril. And there doesn't seem like there's much this young prophet Isaiah can do. You know, when your vision in the natural, when your report in the natural... For what you're sensing in the natural gets rough or discouraging. Get the vision of heaven. It's glorious. It's comforting. It's inspiring. It's energizing. The news spread from street to street and from town to town. The king is dead. The king is dead. There was sorrow. There was confusion. There was uncertainty. There was anxiety. What would happen next? Would there be a civil war? Would an enemy attack while we're vulnerable? What would happen now? But in that setting, In that setting, Isaiah saw the Lord and that changed everything. It changes everything when you get a vision of Jesus. You see, he's in the same setting as others, but he saw beyond the present dread and the present danger. And he saw the Lord and that made all the difference. We're waiting so often for things down here to change. When God simply says, get the upward view and let your heart be changed and you'll be amazed how you can walk through it with a new strength and a new grace. He saw that behind the empty throne on earth, there is a throne in heaven that is never empty. Christian, come boldly to that throne. 
Christian, cast your care upon that throne. Shed your tears and receive strength to go fight this good fight of faith. Before that throne, it's open to you continually. It's open to you sincerely to come and cast your burden and initiate your faith and receive from the touch of God. He saw that above the earthly sorrow, the earthly confusion was a God of sovereignty and power who had everything under his control. Let's thank God this morning, church, that beyond every wound, there is a healer beyond every need. There is a provider beyond every abandoned life. There's a friend that will stick as closer than a brother beyond every sting of rejection. Is the one that said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Oh, bless the wonderful name of the Lord our God. Oh, get the upward view, someone. Jesus, your Savior, he's still on the throne. His promises are still yes and amen. And his presence will never leave you nor forsake you. Other things in life might be unstable. Other things in life might be uncertain. But the upward view, remembering this, recognizing this, believing this, brings into our hearts divine comfort and strength, divine peace, calm in the midst of crisis. For the upward view sees a good God. The upward view sees a powerful God. The upward view sees a loving God. The upward view sees an ever faithful God who won't fail us nor forsake us. Can you see him this morning? In complete control of our lives. Watching over every moment and every movement. Psalm 121, one of those most encouraging psalms. Young Christian, it's a short psalm. If you don't know it, Psalm 121 is your homework assignment. Read it. During the week. Put your name in there. It's a great psalm of comfort and strength. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. Oh the psalmist got that upward view. That beyond everything on this earth. There is a good God. And a faithful God. And a powerful God. That is watching over the lives of his people. And that Psalm 121 goes on to describe. How God gives you and I 24-7 security. He watches over our going out. Our coming in. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. Night and day. Day and night. He watches over, making sure our feet are firm, making sure our lives are surrounded, making sure our needs are met. Oh, if you're a child of God, God is a good God. God is a loving God. He won't fail you. He won't forsake you. Get that vision. Get that assurance. And walk in the faith in the Lord your God. Hallelujah. We can't avoid the fact the king is dead. We can't avoid the fact the enemy might see it as a sign of weakness and attack. We can't avoid living in a real world, in a fallen world. But oh, we are not of this world. We know a God. We have a Savior. We have precious promises to stand on. We are children of the living God. Therefore, we can walk through a very real world, but walk through it like people from another world because we are from another world. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he saw him in his sovereignty. He's on a throne, high and exalted. He saw him in his holiness, an emphasis of the angelic host that praised God, holy, holy. He saw his glory. He saw God working. To see him like Isaiah did assures our hearts that he's exalted and reigning over everything that touches our lives. 
Our God reigns, but specifically He reigns over you and He reigns over me. And the earth might shake and life might disappoint. People might let us down, but oh, your God reigns and He reigns over your life. He saw the sovereignty of God, that exalted throne. Sovereignty speaks of the supreme rule and authority of God. The true and living God, there's only one. There's not a hundred of them. There's only one true and living God. The God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Sovereignty speaks of his authority, his rule, his control over the nations, over the universe, and certainly over the lives of his people. Get that view. And know that regardless of anything else that's going on, your heavenly Father has control over you and He's a good God and He's a faithful God. He sees a vision of God's holiness where sovereignty is the powerful nature of God. Holiness is the moral character of God. He's pure and He's complete. He's whole. He's separate from anything common or dark. He's separate from His creation. You know, Dr. Sproul, R.C. Sproul reminds us, holiness is the only attribute of God presented in the Scripture three times with that threefold emphasis. No other attribute is so emphasized or praised. For example, you'll never read love, love, love altogether, or justice, 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 or mercy, mercy, but holy, holy, holy. Verse 2 speaks of the seraphs or the seraphims. It's an order, it's an angelic order of being. They're angels. But literally that word means the burning one. The burning ones. Bright flaming creatures who have to cover themselves in the presence of God. Note, this reveals to you and I the reverence that takes place in the presence of God. Holy angels. If holy angels have to bow down, how should we respond when we're recognized and are aware of the presence of God? We're in holy ground. There should be humility. There should be reverence. There should be an awesome expectation. There should be worship. That natural response of the creature is to worship the Creator. We see when we recognize and have an awareness of the holiness of God, it always should produce a sense of awe, humility, worship. Revelation 4 and 8. Mm. The book of Revelation. Powerful glimpses into heaven. And what will go on forever and ever. But Revelation 4 and 8, the Bible says that day and night, day and night, the living creatures around the throne, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and is to come. God is holy. You get a true, you don't know, if you don't know God's holy, you don't know God. You are misinformed. You are told a false gospel. This God is a holy God. Jesus had to go to Calvary because he's a holy God and we fell short of that holiness and we needed a redeemer. We needed a reconciler. We needed someone to make us right to once again approach that holy God and it comes through the blood. This glorious vision, this upward view, he sees the sovereignty of God. And when I can see this upward view and I can remember this and recognize this, if I can believe this, my God is sovereign, I'll walk through life a whole lot more comfortable and confident and courageous to do his will. I'll tell you that. And I can get that upward view and recognize he's a holy God. And he's a God that hates sin. It's going to motivate me to want to live right. Amen. To live pure and holy. Because he is holy. And the Bible says we ought to be holy also. 
He sees the glory of God, the glory of God. What is that? When God makes himself known, when God manifests himself to us, that's his glory. When his power is displayed, his glory is revealed. The song of the seraph twofold. You see in in verse 3, they speak of the nature of God. Holy, holy, holy. But then they look at the earth. And they see the earth. And when they look to the earth, they see God's glory in it. Very interesting. It was a chaotic time. It was a fearful time. It was a tense time. Yet they see the glory of God in the midst of it all. Faith sees God at work and rejoices because of it. One of those newer songs that we sing. Even when we don't see that you're working, even when we don't feel that you're working, you never stop. You never stop working. And the angels could look. Not Now they're no longer looking at God and the holiness. Now they're looking down into the earth where fallen men are, where terrible things are happening. Yet even in the midst of that, they see the glory of God throughout the earth. God is working in the earth. God is doing things in your family. Even if you can't see it, if you've asked him, if you're believing him, God is working in that marriage. God is working in that wayward child. God is working in that situation that you don't think can ever change. Oh, don't limit this God. He's an awesome God. Don't think he can't do it. He can do it if you believe him and trust him and ask him. Even when we don't feel it or see it, faith says God is at work. Can you say amen. Amen. Jesus said one time to the boys, he said, man, open your eyes and see the fields are white. The fields are white. Samaria, they're not, they're lost. They're terrible. There's no harvest there. Jesus said, you're not looking at it from heaven's perspective. When heaven touches your eyes, you see lost men and women that are ready to come to Jesus, that are ready to be known by God almighty. In the hard times, in the dreadful times, in the oppressive times, yet that great prophet Elijah, he's able to look out after years of drought and he sees something so small, it's not even the size of a man's hand, a little bitty cloud. He says, look out, God is getting ready to drench the earth once again. God is getting ready to move in your marriage once again. God is getting ready to resurrect your ministry once again. My Lord, my Lord, face sees the glory of God moving in the earth. When you can't see God working, you give up, you quit. You get bitter, you get ugly, you get defeated, you get discouraged. But when faith sees what some people see is no hope, someone else sees as a harvest just ready to be reaped. When someone sees prayer is not being answered, someone else sees that thing is coming down, that thing is being chipped away, that breakthrough is closer than when we first asked. Isaiah sees the uplifted God upon his throne and he sees the blazing terrace all around the throne and he hears an ultimate song of victory. When we see the Lord, when we really begin to understand he's ruling and reigning, he's guiding us and ordering our steps, that his power is within us, our faith is strengthened, our courage is steadied, and our song is changed. You get a new song. When you get the upward view, you get a new song when you really start remembering and believing he's in control and everything is going to be all right. The book of Revelation, you know, if you don't like singing, you're not going to like heaven. 
I just I figure I might as well warn you. There's a whole lot of singing in heaven. You read the book of Revelation. They sing in a lot in that book. Amen. They sing. They're not ashamed to sing. You don't like singing. I'm just telling you. Ask the Lord help me because I want to go to heaven. Do you want to go to heaven? Well, then you better like singing about the Lord. Revelation 5. Called the song of the redeemed. And it's a song <laughs> of great victory and triumph. It's a song that declares the Lamb has overcome. Oh, my Lord. Jesus has overcome. And because he's overcome, you and I that walk with him have also overcome. The upward view. The upward realization. The upward confidence and faith. The view. You see, the upward view begins to control a person's God consciousness and awareness. It will remind me. It will um, refocus me. It will steady me and strengthen me as I walk through this life. It will remind me of my Heavenly Father is the Almighty. And He's watching over my life. He's in control of my days. His promises for me are yes and amen. He's going to take care of me. He's going to come through for me every step of the way. That's why the enemy fights for our attention. That's why the enemy fights for our focus and our priority. Our perspective. The lens by which we view our life and our circumstances. Some are always viewing things from the negative and the doubting. But oh, when we can view things through the eye of faith, through the eye of salvation. When we can put on the helmet of salvation and begin to see life through the victory of Calvary, everything changes. You see, hell knows that our focus and our perspective will feed either our fears or our faith. What you're focusing on will either feed your fears or feed your faith. So watch your vision and watch what your attention is on and watch what your focus is on and watch what you're rehearsing all the time with your mouth. That's important. It can energize or it can drain. It directs us Godward or manward. You know, the great German reformer Martin Luther, about 500 years ago, he shook the world when he took a stand for biblical truth. But he went through some, obviously, some dark and trying times when he stood against the established church. And one time he had gone through a few days of a real, real negative, a time of real dark and discouragement. And after a couple of days, like any good wife, the wife had enough of it and she wanted to snap him out of it. So his wife decided to dress all in black and go around the house in mourning. Well, he got his attention. After about a half a day, he looked and said, woman who died? She snapped back. I thought God did the way you've been carrying on, Martin. He snapped out of it. He got the upward view. Sometimes you got to snap yourself out of it. Remind yourself you're a child of God. Your Savior is watching over you. Everything's going to be all right. Amen? I know the report was bad, but Jesus is going to give you a better report. I know that person, what they did was mean, but Jesus got some healing for their meanness. Amen? I know what looks like it should have been, could have been, and didn't become is discouraging. But God can work through it anyhow, and he'll work all things for the good for them that love him. The upward view. Faith sees the Almighty and remembers and acknowledges and believes. We remind ourselves, our God is still on the throne. He's in control of the world. He's in control of me. Regardless, he's in control and I'm in his care. Regardless, Jesus is alive. And his promises are yes and amen. And he's promised to never leave me nor forsake me. You see, this thing bolsters confidence and courage in the heart of the believer. This thing imparts a peace 
and a steadiness of soul to the believer. This thing assists us to walk through this life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but to walk through it keeping our Christian composure and our Christian character, keeping our hope and keeping our confidence in the Lord, believing this, reminding ourselves of this, and living with this reality in mind. This will help you and I to face our storms. You know, when we face storms, storms sometimes try to blind us of the glory of God. Storms somehow try to blind us from the reality that God is in control. But when I can get that upward view, even in the midst of the storm, I can walk by faith and not by sight. I can keep my song and not get bitter. I can ride it out until Jesus said, peace, be still. This will help me to claim the promises of God. So many people have gone after the things of God with all their heart, with great sincerity. They've trusted God. They've tried to do their best. They've made changes in their life, and they began to seek and pursue the will of God for their life. But hell doesn't want you going forward in God. Hell doesn't want your marriages and family putting Jesus first. Hell will throw the kitchen sink at you. All of a sudden, things will go bad in your life. They're always good. Why? Hell is trying to discourage you. Hell is trying to keep you from advancing. In God, and sometimes the struggles that we face in pursuit of God's best can blind us to the fact that God's still in control. And if I keep trusting Him, He'll fuel my faith to press on through the opposition, to believe on, even though the world is standing against me. And I can trust the Lord that He that began the good work in my life, He's going to finish it and give me the grace to press on into God's best. Having this upward vision fuels our faith that we can go the distance. Because how many know it's not how you start, but it's how you finish finish that matters. You can start great, but what you did 20 years ago is not going to do anything good if you haven't been serving Jesus now. Amen? But the upward vision, that focus, reminding us, stirring us, strengthening us, Yeah, he's in control. Yeah, that's my God. Yeah, that spirit is within me. Yeah, everything is going to be all right. Hebrews 12 and 2, it speaks about fixing our eyes on Jesus. I'm talking about the upward view that fuels our faith and gives us strength to go the distance. We might run, but we don't got to get weary, walk and not faint. Why? We're looking to him, the source of our strength. Hallelujah. How about that? Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Oh, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him. Oh, he despised the shame. Looking unto Jesus. That's the upward view. The author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was before him. He endured the cross. You got to endure some things in this life. How do you do it? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You keep looking to him. It keeps your face strong. It keeps your heart steady. It keeps your joy full in the joy of the Lord. Looking unto Jesus. Next time you get down to the dumps, ask yourself, what have I been looking at? What have I been focusing on? 
What have I been rehearsing and regurgitating? My Lord, rehearse faith. Rehearse the truth of God. Rehearse the precious promises of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. My God shall supply all my needs. And greater is he that's within me than he that's in the way. If any man lacks wisdom, go ahead and ask God, the Almighty. He'll give it liberally. He's not cheap. He'll give you the wisdom to make that decision. He'll give you the strength to take on that adversary. Oh, he's a good God. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You got to endure some things if you're going to make it. You got to endure some things if you're going to make it. Those that didn't have the real stuff, they left. They didn't, they didn't endure. Only they that endured to the end are going to be saved, that book says. You got to have some endurance, amen? How do we get my endurance? Fix your eyes on Jesus. That fuels your faith. Amen. That's where it comes from. You get your eyes off the Lord, start going on fumes. Despising the shame. This world will mock you and laugh at you. This world will tell you some of your own kin, some of your own children, tell you you're crazy for serving God. Hey, hey. Say amen. But in the end, you're going to sit on that throne. <laughs> Glory be to God. Number one, there's the upward view. He saw the Lord. And when you see the Lord, that strengthens your heart, fuels your faith, quickens your resolve. Can you say amen? But now he got inward view. He saw himself. Go ahead. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. He saw himself. Oh, my Lord, after seeing all that holiness, after the place shaken, he said, woe is me. You get close enough, you ought to feel conviction every now and again. Amen. We've let the devil's crowd come in and tell us conviction's wrong. That's why we're living such low lives, calling ourselves believers. Conviction keeps us on the straight and narrow. Conviction keeps us walking as Christians ought to walk. Woe is me. I'm ruined. Literally, I'm coming unraveled. I'm coming apart. I'm falling apart. Ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You know, when we compare ourselves with one another, we're pretty good. You ever witnessed anyone out there? Well, I'm not that bad. Just look at so and so. We always like to compare. You can always find someone worse than you. You can always find someone to make you, you know, see like you're righteous. But how do you know, you know that person next to you is not the comparison? That person on the job, not the comparison's God. How do you stand next to him? We all fall short. We get a glimpse of the holiness. We all realize, whoo, I'm undone. Oh, Lord, I'm guilty. I need forgiveness. I need a cleansing. That brings you to Calvary. That brings you to real salvation. Trying to get people saved without getting them lost is a hard thing. To get them lost by recognizing I'm undone. Ah, I'm a sinful man. That brings you to Jesus. Where you can really be cleansed. And really be made right. Oh my. Verse 6 said, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. He had taken it with tongs from that altar. And with it he touched my mouth. The angel said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Wow. 
Oh my. The sight of a holy God, the sound of a holy hymn brought great conviction to the young prophet's heart. You see, before we minister to others, we got to let God minister to us. Before I say, woe is you, I got to say, woe is me. The Bible says, let a man examine himself. Jesus said, before I'm being critical of my brother, I better get the two by four out of my own eye. Amen? And in the light of God's holiness, I see my shortcomings. You know how that is, right? The brighter that light is, you can see. You go in there for surgery, you don't got night light, they got a bright light. They want to see, isn't that right? Isn't that true? And then women folk get in that bathroom. They're like a light. They got to work on everything. Isn't that right? You want to see good? You want to see good? (laughs) I thought you needed something to loosen you up a little bit there. Amen. In the light of God's holiness, I see my shortcomings. I see my needs. And if I'm honest, I announce guilty. Open up that Bible. It's a holy book. Allow that Holy Spirit to talk to you when you read it. Holy Spirit. And each day, part of your your spiritual hygiene as a Christian, if you want to be a healthy Christian, is allowing examination to take place. Every time you do that devotion, isn't it easy? If there's some error I'm not measuring up, that word will speak to me. It encourages me, yes. It comforts me, absolutely. It instructs me, yeah, but it also examines me. Like that mirror, it examines me. But now if I'll respond properly, that mirror that examines me will become water that will wash me. So the one that will expose and show me my fault is merciful and kind enough to cleanse me of my guilt if I'll turn from it and I'll confess it. That's where we've hindered a lot of people. They never really got their forgiveness because they've covered it over and not really confessed it. And until I confess it, He really can't cleanse it. So I suppress it, but I never get rid of it. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. And this is an important verse for us. Because I don't know about you, but I don't live sin free. I don't know about anyone else here. But I never live without missing the mark from time to time. I got to have something to do about my sin. I want to live clean. You like being clean? I like being clean. Anybody like feeling fresh and clean, especially in your soul and in your heart? I do. How many of you know God has a prescription where we can be clean and we can be free? That the same touch that Isaiah get, we can get. First John, he's writing to a church. He's not writing to the heathen. He's writing to Christians now, people that are already saved. But I get saved and I get forgiven, but I'm still walking in this old world and I still got this old nature. Believe it or not, sometimes I get impatient. I know it's hard for you to believe. Just ask my wife, she'll tell you. I can get impatient. I know it don't seem like it, but I can get grumpy every now and again. I get hungry and I get grumpy. And, and you got to say, Lord, it's not my mother or my brother, but it's me, oh Lord. Stand in that need of prayer. Isn't that right? And so sometimes we miss the mark, don't we? But, but when you walk close with God, you want to be clean. 
So you want to do something about it, not deny it, not ignore it, not redefine it. I read an article in a Christian paper the other day. Man, it was, I wish I should have wrote it down so I can quote it properly. And this world is so fallen and so wicked, this present age, that we've had to learn a whole new vocabulary of acronyms just to keep up with the filth and the defilement of this sinful world. I mean, there's some acronyms I still wish I didn't know. Ain't that right? But it's the world getting so wicked. Yeah, it's a wicked world. We live in it. And from time to time, even the believers miss the mark. But when you and I miss the mark, what do we, what do, we do? What do we do when we miss the mark? Do we just, do we make, be like the world and redefine it and make excuses for it? Do we just suppress it? Maybe God won't find out. You might fool the preacher. You can't fool God. Amen. I'm not hard to fool. I'm not all that bright. Amen. You know what I mean? But, but you, you can't fool him. And we're all still human, though we're doing our best to live holy. And the longer we walk with God, we're doing better than we did when we first got into this thing. Isn't that right? And we're still fighting with these things. But yet, and if you want to get close to Jesus, you've got to keep clean. Amen? And I like to keep close to Jesus. Isn't that right? So do I just get guilty and condemned by it and give up? No. Do I make excuses about it and try to suppress it and make believe it didn't happen? No. If we confess our sins, God gave us a prescription. He's writing to believers. Okay? If we confess our sins, that word confess, it means to say the same thing. In the Greek, it means say the same thing. When a man confesses of a crime, he says, I did it. He doesn't make excuses and say he did it or they did it. They confess, I did it. I lied. I backbit. I didn't keep my word. I confess. So the first step of being clean is being honest. Saying, Lord, I've got to make a confession here. I was a little sharp with that person. I'm going to go apologize to my brother. But Lord, I want you to forgive me before I go. I said I would do this, and then I didn't keep my word. Lord, I'm sorry. I, okay, whatever the case. If we can, but if we confess our sins... You don't got to keep that sin. You can get rid of that sin. But you got to do it God's way. If I confess my sins, he. Now, I want you to forgive me, but the most important person to forgive me is the Lord. Amen. He is faithful and just. Faithful means he'll do it. God's willing to forgive. God wants to forgive me. God wants me clean so I can walk close with him. He is faithful and just. How can he be just? Sin is wicked. Because Jesus went to Calvary. God can forgive me. Amen? Because Jesus shed his blood that we can be forgiven. You and I can be forgiven and God can forgive us. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. I like that word all. All unrighteousness. Isn't that a beautiful thought? God says, listen, you can be clean. You can walk clean. You don't got to be condemned. You don't got to deny it. You don't have to let that sin beat you over the head forever and keep you up at night. If you come clean, you can be clean. Because God's a good God. Can you say amen? And you kind of see the pattern there. How the pattern, it starts out conviction, confession, cleansing. And I like to be clean. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
when we confess and accept responsibility like Isaiah did, then thank God there is still a cleansing touch from heaven for you and for me. And that's a beautiful thing. You see, because the world will tell you to deny it. Because the world don't like talking about sin. Because they like to do their own thing. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. John's gospel. And so the world will say, just deny it. Everyone's doing it. But your conscience and your soul and certainly the Holy Spirit is grieved. The devil just condemn you over it. He'll say, yeah, you're not really saved. See, why are you even trying? You're still an old no good. He tried to condemn you. The devil's a liar. I mean. But God says, I'll, I'll cleanse you. I'll forgive you. If you'll acknowledge it and you'll confess it, you'll bring it to me. I'll wash you whiter than snow. Let's look at this. This is beautiful. I want to thank God this morning. That there is a cleansing touch from heaven that's available to whosoever will. We might have done things we shouldn't have done. We might have fallen short, but we don't got to live under the condemnation and the assault of the enemy forever. We can come clean and God will make us clean and forgive us and wash us. Hallelujah. What a scene we see in this chapter of Isaiah. Out of the most overwhelming vision of holiness, of the awe and presence of God comes the most beautiful vision of grace. In the midst of all this worship, the smoke, the angelic beings, the burning uh, seraphs, the house is shaken, yet the cry of a guilty man still reaches the ears of the Almighty God. And the cleansing touch of God makes this man clean. I want to praise God this morning. That that same live coal is available to touch our lips and touch our hearts and make us whole again. Oh, glory be to God. Hallelujah. You know, there's an old, old hymn. One of my favorites. In fact, I told, my, I told Christina back, when we were just in our 20s, I said, I want that one sung at my funeral. Some of the older folks know it. There is a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stains. I thank God there is a cleansing touch. You might be here today and you might love God. You might be walking with God, but there's something that you haven't confessed or something you've been denying. Please, don't, don't let the enemy mess with you anymore. Please, don't let the world lie to you Just bring it to the Lord. Be honest. Confess it. Turn from it. He'll cleanse you. He'll forgive you. He'll throw it as far as the east is from the west. And you can walk in the beautiful freedom of God's forgiveness. Can you say amen? Oh, hallelujah. Speak to someone who doesn't matter. How bad you've sinned or what you've done. It doesn't matter how terrible your sin was. If you'll come to Jesus, if you confess it, if you'll turn from it, his precious blood will wash you whiter than snow. I thank God there is still a cleansing touch from heaven and you and I can have that touch right now. May the fire of God touch us today, our hearts, our tongues our minds, purifying and perfecting us and making us what God called us to be. Encouragement from Isaiah's vision. Number one, he got the upward view. And that should sturdy and steady our faith.
when we remember that, we recognize, and we really believe our God is ruling and reigning with all power and glory. He's our God. He's our Heavenly Father. He's watching over our lives. It should give us a confidence as we face life. But secondly, there's an inward view. Because we've got to realize He's a holy God. And we need to be a holy people. But we learn from this example that even when we come to those places we say, oh God, I'm guilty. I've fallen short. He doesn't ostracize us. He doesn't reject us. He doesn't throw us aside. Instead, if we're willing to confess it, He'll touch us and He'll cleanse us and He'll get us back in the race. Hallelujah. And lastly, lastly, there's the outward view. He saw the need. He, I mean, after you get touched by God, you've got to go touch someone else. What's it say there in verse 8? Then I heard the voice of the Lord. As we worship him and humble our hearts before him. We'll hear his voice. As we draw near to God, he draws near to us. As we give him glory that he's worthy of, he'll speak to our hearts. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I said, here I am. Send me. You see, the nation needed the Lord. And the Lord needed a servant. Will you be one? See, God's still calling. Who will go for us? Let's answer that call this morning. This morning, I encourage you to receive a cleansing touch. Receive an empowering touch. And then go and speak for the Lord your God. Go as a clean vessel into this world. Go as a vessel, as a man or woman touched by the fire of God, full of the strength of God, ready and willing to do His works because your world needs you. We use this illustration sometimes with the, at the men's breakfast, the men's ministry. We began with talking about the second most important call or decision you'll make. After salvation, it's the decision I'm going to meet with God. I'm going to draw near my God. You're not going to change your family or world by just saying a little sinner's prayer. But it's the call to come into my fiery presence. To hear my voice. Let my fire burn away all the junk. And let me assign you and anoint you for your ministry. That picture of Moses, he went into that fiery presence. All that revelation, all that consuming fire, but then stopped there. Now God says, go. And take my message to those you're sent to set free. And we said it's like the priest in the Old Testament. The priest had two primary ministries. One was to God and one was to the people. First you've got to minister to God. And you come before God as a willing servant, humble servant to worship him and receive from him. But then once you receive from God and hear from God, it doesn't stop there. Now you come out from the presence of God to speak to your people, to minister to your people. you got a people. you got a people. You've got a people. They need a man or a woman that's first drawn near to the fire of God. That's had the encounter, the upward view, and the cleansing touch from God. But then out of that, we go and touch our world. Out of that, we go sent by God to speak his word, to be his hands, to give his hope. The nation needed the Lord, and the Lord needed a servant. Hallelujah. So say, oh God, give us the cleansing touch. Give us that empowering touch. And then let us go. Here I am, send me. 
Here I am, use me. You've got a sphere of influence. God says, be my voice in that sphere. You've got a place where God takes you. You've got a path where God directs you. Be my instrument along that path. So as we close and we open the altar, number one, number one, number one, let's offer ourselves afresh for divine service. Let's offer ourselves afresh for divine service. But number two, if you need a cleansing touch, come and let Jesus wash you. Let him remove the guilt and shame. You might be here today and that devil's been messing with you, something you did 20 years ago. The devil's a liar. He's an accuser. He's a condemner. Jesus said, bring it to me and let me wash you and let me cleanse you and let me free you from that unnecessary guilt and shame. And lastly, may all of us, let's see the Lord this morning and let's let our hearts be strengthened and stirred and let's remember who he is and what he's promised us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Stand with me, please. We're going to open the altar. If you need prayer for anything, Pastor Todd's got the oil bottle and we're going to lay hands. We'll believe God for healing. We'll believe God for fresh fillings. We'll believe God for anything. If you believe, we'll believe with you. Amen? Fair enough. Isn't that right? If you believe, we'll believe God with you. But as we sing, let's offer ourselves afresh to God. Here I am, send me. You've you got people in your life that need what you have. There are people in your sphere of influence, people in the path life has given you right now that need a vessel of the Lord. You're that vessel. So we say, Lord, cleanse us so we can be a clean vessel. And then, Lord, anoint us so we can be a powerful vessel. Amen? Now let us go. And I'll say that again. If you have something that needs to be cleansed, that's all. God desires to cleanse us, not condemn us. God desires to wash us, not reject us. But we do our part by admitting it and bringing it, confessing it. And if we do that, he'll take care of the rest. We pray, Father, we thank you for these wonderful lessons from Isaiah's encounter. Lord, help each one of us to have that upward view. To never forget the reality that Jesus is alive. His promises are yes and amen. And the same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in us, giving us strength for every day, for every trial, for every event. Lord, help us to live pure before you. And Lord, we recognize we're frail human beings living in a fallen world. And sometimes we do miss the mark. Sometimes we fall short. We're not proud of it, but we don't want to lie about it. I want to thank you, Lord, that you've made a way that we can be forgiven when we fall short. You've made a way that we can be cleansed thoroughly and completely when we miss the mark. You've shown us in this scripture how to be clean. You showed us what to practice to keep ourselves clean and keep our relationship with you pure and fresh. So, Lord... If anyone needs grace today just to confess it and then receive your marvelous cleanse and give them the grace they need. Now, Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts and touch people afresh. Let that cold touch our lips. 
let that coal touch our hearts. And as we come to the altar, oh God, let your gifts of healings flow. As we come to this altar, let those that are thirsty and hungry for more of you receive a fresh touch and filling of the Holy Spirit. Let those that just need to draw near to you hear your voice and receive a fresh touch from your hand. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, let's respond. Let's meet with God. Let's worship God. Let's get a touch from God. Let's come to the altar. Let's pray one for another. Hallelujah.